This is Restless. Well, this is Restless without me, the host, Matt. I have turned the show completely over to the capable hands of Pastor Michael. So we'll see what he has for you while I'm gone taking care of a new human being. I hope all is well with you. All is going pretty well for us as I record this, at least. I can't wait to hear right along with you whatever these episodes include. Welcome back to Restless, often a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. But today, we're talking something maybe a little bit different, but not so outside of the wheelhouse uh, that we, it's that something that we've maybe, you know, brought up in some capacity in the past. Uh, but I'm not here alone. I, you know, Matt is still out with this baby. Uh, continue to pray for him and his family as they they enjoy this new time with uh, with a sweet new baby in the house. Uh, but in his stead, uh, I have with us returning uh, once again uh, Andrew Smith and John Cena. Should I? Should I? <laughs> Caleb, should I just call you John Cena for? The rest of this episode or for the oh I thought you were gonna say for the rest of my life but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes yes okay well <laughs> why don't you guys introduce yourselves for those who might not know you introduce your podcast so that they know um I know a lot of people will will recognize you already but but just so that they have that why don't you introduce yourselves a bit all right I am Andrew Smith I'm the pastor of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in uh cold windy Hamill South Dakota about three degrees here right now and uh yeah uh, i along with caleb or john cena i guess i never knew i was in such rarefied air we host the once for all delivered podcast where we talk about theology and culture and stuff yes and uh i am uh probably in an identity crisis uh, my name is Caleb Castro, otherwise known as John Cena. Dun, 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 dun. But for recording purposes, we can refer to me as Caleb Castro. Uh, yeah, so I am the co-host at Once for All Delivered, uh, along with uh, Andrew. And uh, I'm the uh, minister at uh, the Rock Valley United Reformed Church in um, uh, Rock Valley, Iowa. Uh, that's the Northwest Iowa Um Actually, just only a couple hours away from Andrew there. Uh, so also, likewise, windy and cold. It is negative two, I believe, at the moment without the wind chill. And loving every little bit of it. Uh, and yeah, so we are we are here to talk about the kind of stuff and things that we would talk about in our podcast and join them together with the kind of stuff and things that are talked about on Restless. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, you know, I actually had to step out a little bit while you were introducing yourselves because I've got a, a furnace guy coming to the church uh, anytime now. He just called and uh, told me what he's going to do. He will be calling again once he gets here. And so I'll have to step out and do a couple of things really quick. Um, but hopefully we're in a good place where we can we can make that work. And then uh, like you on. said, what was that? And then bring him on. That's right. That's right. That's right. We did talk about maybe starting a new segment of just asking regular people on the street about really niche topics that only we want to discuss. <laughs> yeah, that, this would be so fun. If there's anybody that wants to fund such an endeavor, uh, go ahead and, and reach out to us. But uh, so 
this is, you know, I, I reached out to you guys saying, Hey, you know, Matt's not going to be around. And do you want to come, come on again and talk about something? And I had no plans or thoughts about what that would be. <laughs> this is Matt. Matt is the planner of the show. Um, I, I react. I don't do as much planning. Uh, you know, maybe I help once in a while, but, but it's definitely not my main uh, part. The, the main thing that I do with, with the restless podcast so uh, when I reached out to you, though, um, Andrew, you had mentioned that you've been thinking a lot about blue laws. And so I, you know, I, I'm just going to have you introduce what that even is, <laughs> because a lot of people listening might not have any idea what that means or what you're talking about. And then uh, and then we can kind of move forward from there and talk a bit about this. Well, yeah, for a lot of people in our day, probably blue laws are either something they don't know about at all or something they look upon with disdain. Uh, the idea of state enforcement of the Sabbath, state enforcement of the Lord's Day. Um, a lot of people may not know this, but in these United States, until about the middle of the 20th century, basically everywhere had some form of Sunday laws in which various activities, commerce, um, sports, things of the sort were prohibited on Sundays. And then it seems gradually over time, again, early to mid 20th century, these laws just started disappearing. Uh, jurisdictions started repealing them um, to where now uh, – you, you can still find them once in a while. And I think Caleb's going to talk about that a little, but in general, these laws are gone and it's like they never existed and people don't even know that they ever existed. And so my half-baked idea on blue laws, um, and that I, I got this as I've been uh, doing a little bit of reading and studying of Charles Hodge and his discussion of the fourth commandment in his systematic theology um, it's actually in that context, because this has come up a lot in discussions of Christian nationalism and other things, uh, where Hodge very uh, clearly and plainly states that America is a Protestant Christian nation, and to deny such would be uh, basically to deny the obvious. Um, but he did this in the context of defending state observance of the Sabbath and blue laws, which were starting to come under fire at his time, which was the early 1870s when he wrote uh, his systematic. And yeah, by early to mid 20th century, then these laws started disappearing. So my half-baked idea is that it seems like one of the key points of decline, one of the key points where America really started to lose the plot as far as being a moral and religious people was with the loss of blue laws. Now, I guess you could argue was the losing of the laws. Was that uh, symptomatic or was it causative? Probably some of both, because that's usually how law changes work in things like this. But uh, so, yeah, that's my half baked idea. And I'd kind of like to discuss it with you gentlemen to flesh it out some more. So if Sabbath laws are blue laws, what would red laws be? Uh, would red laws just be like anti-communist laws? Yes. Which would be great. Probably, That's, yeah. I mean, it sounds awesome. Um, so maybe at the end we'll we'll talk red laws as well <laughs> because that sounds cool. But uh, yeah, so let's talk about this a little bit. I, You know, I, this is not something that I feel particularly like um, well studied in. 
you know, probably only in the last few years did I even begin to think um, really seriously about the Sabbath. That's maybe not true. Maybe for the last decade, uh, I've thought about it a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, growing up in kind of what I refer to as mainline evangelicalism, it having Sunday as a day that you would worship was like an important thing. It was nice. It was, it was good. But the idea that the government might actually enforce something where they say, hey, you can't do uh, trade and business. You can't do commerce. Hey, we're not going to do a lot of these other these other things that are now so common. Um, businesses are not going to be allowed to you know, be open. Um, that would have been so extremely foreign to me. And I guarantee I would have reacted negatively. Just, just the very idea of it would, would make me think, well, that can't be good, right? And that kind of enforcement. Uh, and so why, why did, let's start with this maybe, why, why was this kind of a universal, at least within kind of the Christian West, why was this seen as so important? Uh, maybe we go into a little bit more of, uh, of a more traditional view of the Sabbath um, and maybe we could talk, if we know at all, a little bit of why that started to kind of come unhinged, leading to today where, who, you know, nobody even begins to think about this. Uh, but so what, what is it that ever gave people the idea that this could be a good thing? Yeah, so there's, uh, in, in, there's a couple of approaches in this topic. Um, and on one end, I think, as we might see in the uh, throughout the conversation, is uh, there is there is an aspect of natural law that goes into all of this, and there are even uh, instances and cases where we see it being held to according even to natural law uh, that it is still in practice. Um, the uh, so so in some of the background of this, um, in in in. The Christian history, uh, the history of the Christian church, there's always been the assumption of a uh, of some kind of doctrine or theology of rest. Um, and I, I would say, uh, first and foremost, that that's probably something that's largely missing in the United States in the first place. That mm -hmm. uh, that, that goes be uh, that really is underlying a lot of this uh, of why uh, there's opposition to it in the first place. Simply, Americans don't like to rest. Um the uh, yeah, so, so some of this law, uh, you, you go back even into uh, the medieval period, there's there's a, a certain understanding of the necessity of rest. You have um, you had uh, in the medieval period, uh, some 60 feast days, uh, saints days throughout the year. Um, and this was in addition to uh, you might have uh, some upward 150 to 175 work days off. Uh, as, as serfs because you'd be uh, on a certain rotation on tending to a landlord's uh, land. Um, even in the medieval period where you have these farmers that are yeah, doing a lot of labor, uh, I mean, they, they had maybe 16 hour work days, but it was really only some eight hour of those work days that were spent on primary, uh, primary farm labor. They had a lot of breaks throughout the day, even naps. Um, like 
couple hour breaks and then they would have, you know, household chores and such. Well, so there's, there's always been a heavy uh, mindset of the necessity of rest and a slow pace and uh, days off. Uh, feast days were a part of this. When Oliver Cromwell uh, becomes Lord Protectorate in, of England in the 17th century, uh, Cromwell's parliament um, enforced a, uh, the, the, the prohibition of uh, observing saints' feast days. Um, but he, uh, he also required the observance of uh, the only feast day, the holy day of the Lord's day. So even though the 60 feast days were removed, the, there was still a required 52 days uh, of, of the Lord's day uh, that was where you were not to do any labor. So that was required in there. Um, and this is possibly where even the phrase blue laws came from, either uh, on some allege it was the color of the paper that Cromwell's um, parliament signed this uh, enactment upon, or even that some say that they wore uh, blue stockings. Uh, thus, they were simply just known as blue laws because these were the guys that made them. Um, but yeah, it's it. So the the background in this uh, Cromwell's uh, parliament uh, imported, uh, or or the, those under Cromwell's par uh, parliament in England uh, imported this into uh, America at the beginning, um, and into other other nations. Um, it was associated with Protestantism largely, uh, but this is uh, like Andrew said. Yeah, this was repealed uh, some by uh, the the 20th century, and yet even Thomas Jefferson, um, in the very beginning of our our country's founding, Thomas Jeff Jefferson, the uh, the agnostic, uh, he wrote up uh, a law um, enforced by James Madison for the observe for uh, maintaining the observance of um uh the prohibition of businesses being open on sunday yeah it's interesting i mean you mentioned that you know a lot of this uh has been argued in some sense off of you know uh of just the the very idea of natural law um calvin in his commentary on exodus uh on exodus 20 the 10 commandments um he he says at one point i you know i i don't remember the exact quote but he basically says um, that the Ten Commandments themselves, the whole of the Ten Commandments, not just the second portion uh, that are sometimes pointed to today, but the whole of the Ten Commandments really are uh, like the explicit writing down of what we might otherwise call natural law. Um, and mm -hmm. so when we talk about the Sabbath, we're talking about, you know, what God commanded in the Fourth Commandment. So why don't I, I jump back in? We had to take a quick break, but I, I want to read um, Exodus 20. Uh, the fourth commandment, uh, starting verse eight says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy six days. You shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God on it. You shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, um, you know, we can some other time maybe argue, uh, you know, how binding this continues to be. Uh, needless to say, we're just going to say it is. It, it, it continues to be binding uh, and, and valid uh, in the new covenant. Uh, 
I know that there's debate about that um, for the for the sake of of our discussion. We're just going to accept it like the vast, vast majority <laughs> of the Christian church has accepted in some capacity um, through history. So um, yep. I like your approach. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're just going to this is just how it is. Right. Deal we're with just, it. We're just going to do that. Um, yeah. Just a couple of things that I think bear pointing out about the text of the fourth commandment as we approach this topic. You'll notice, for one, that uh, unique to this commandment, there's a supervisory principle. You'll notice in there that it is not merely that we are to keep this commandment for ourselves, but we are to keep it within our spheres of authority. So if you have, uh, you know, family, servants, business, whatever, those who are under your supervision, you're, you're responsible not only for your adherence to this command, but also for theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's and that, even the but livestock, then also, right? Even, even the yeah. livestock. So mm-hmm. even, you know, um, lesser forms of creation than man. And then the other thing, another thing about the text of this commandment is there seems to be a certain universality about it in that it talks about slaves and sojourners. And in the context in which this was given, uh, which would have been, you know, the nation of Israel. They were in the wilderness, um, but you know, they, they, this would have been in the time then of of what's often called the Israelite theocracy. Slaves and sojourners very likely were not fellow Israelites. They weren't fellow Jews, not only ethnically but also probably not religiously either, um, because slaves would be imported typically uh, from other lands. I mean, there could be Hebrew slaves, but they could only be slaves for so long and had to be released. So, you know, more typically your slaves would be foreigners and then stranger within your gates. That's obviously implying someone who's, who's from outside, not a part of your community, but even though they are not a part of your religious people, uh, there's still a responsibility to ensure their compliance with it as well. And can I just jump in and say in Deuteronomy 5 and in the the giving of the Ten Commandments there, um, this command is rooted much more actually in that principle, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. here you have in Exodus 20, it's, it's uh, rooted in the fact that God worked and then rested on the seventh day. Um, so he blessed a Sabbath day. And, and then in Deuteronomy 5, really the focus is on uh, the slaves that you should, you should give this rest, um, this, mm-hmm. this, this um, day set apart um, for those who uh, are slaves, because it says that you were slaves once, right? You were slaves in Egypt. And so, so too, you should remember that. Now, if you bring those two things together, what you have is basically a principle of, you know, this is creational. Um, It is, it is something rooted in the very design of creation Mm -hmm. as God set things forth uh, originally for us as a pattern. And then also there's an element of mercy involved, um, or you might say justice, right? There's a, there, there is something more to it that's actually just focused on the good of man as well. Mm-hmm. I would even go as far as to say that the, uh, actually I did uh, just, just actually uh, just preached on this commandment uh, last Sunday night. The, uh, I, I would say, yeah, you have Exodus 20 verse 11 um, as approaching it from a creational principle the reason given behind uh the giving of that law there but when you and again this is them coming out in the sense of egypt and they do have these slaves with them including the mixed multitude from egypt but in deuteronomy 5 15 you have um uh something of a a more of a deliverance purpose uh, that there's by reason of your deliverance because of the redemption i have worked for you 
it, it comes from a redemptive approach. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there from a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, uh, it's this is already itself pointing ahead to the work of Christ and the eternal deliverance wrought by him for our eternal Sabbath rest. It's, uh, so, I mean, I, I would go so far as to say it's that, I mean, you, you do have um, the pointing of, of uh, towards the covenant of grace in this law, which is perhaps in a sense unique to it as well. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, you know, that gives us some basis anyway, just to, to think about that. Um, what, what is it, if this was such a common practice um, to have Sunday, even by law, to set it apart. What was it that, you know, began to change those things? What, why um, has it become, you know, normative in our, in the imagination, so to speak, of Americans and even American Christians to think that that would be almost just crazy to do today? How did that shift come about? Well, I mentioned earlier Charles Hodge and his argument for this. It seems that in his day, the objections were starting to come from uh, Jews and Muslims, and there was also atheism rising at the time. Uh, those not a part of America's Protestant and Christian heritage and the fact that America was a Protestant Christian nation, which, again, he found basically indisputable, um, that they were objecting to the uh, imposition of the Christian Sabbath on them because it wasn't a part of their worship and uh, things of the sort. Um, so Hodge was dealing with that. I, I think, you know, there, there was a lot of other various factors that went into it too. Obviously, you know, for those in business, those engaging in capitalism, there's always a desire to do more business and make more money. Um, another issue that started to emerge in the 20th century, especially, was the issue of sports. Uh, there's a lot of uh, colorful history. Um, we always think of football now because uh, professional football plays almost exclusively on Sundays. But it's actually really started and really heated up with baseball mm -hmm. uh, in the early 20th century. Um, I, I got an article here. It's from the baseball zealot, and he said that there was uh, – in 1906, there was five times that games were held on Sunday, baseball games, and then players or managers were arrested for violating the local code. Mm -hmm. So, and kind of a, a, an interesting parallel to some of the developments in England where there was the book of sports and things of that sort. Um, in America, sports had something to do with the decline of Sabbath observance and Sabbath laws. Guys wanted to play baseball on Sunday. They initially weren't allowed, but over time it got to be normalized. And in some of these larger cities, uh, in fact, in this article, there's a list here of the year that cities started legalizing Sunday baseball. So like Chicago, Cincinnati, St. Louis did in 1902, and then St. Louis, or sorry, Cleveland, Detroit, New York, and Washington all did in 1918, and then Boston in 29, and then Baltimore in 32, and Philadelphia in 34. Um, gradually over time, these big cities with big baseball teams started uh, legalizing Sunday baseball. Um, 
So, yeah, I think there was a lot of factors that went into it. But over time, other things became more popular. Uh, Christian worship became less popular, um, which, again, you know, you could say it's symptomatic, but it also does end up being causative on the back end because once Christianity goes from being, well, this is a day everybody's taking off and church is what's going on on this day. So church is where you ought to be. Like, even if you're not a Christian, if everything is closed down on Sundays and forced to be closed down, then there's at least built into time and space and built into laws, a reminder that even if you're not in church on this day, you should be. Yeah. Um, and this is an idea that I think is really lost in our day because we have a lot of bad ideas circulating, <laughs> like the idea that you can't legislate morality, which is what are we legislating if not morality in every case? Um, but yeah, if a law orient you towards doing a, a certain thing you're more likely to do that thing but then when it went from church is what's going on on sundays to church is just one thing on the marketplace of a much wider selection of things you could do on sunday like going to a baseball game or a football game or going to the lake or going to a restaurant or going shopping or whatever else you could do um I think that's really also where you start to see a lot of trouble and decline in the church where the church starts shifting towards being more seeker sensitive in various ways, because rather than being the thing people do on Sunday, they're trying to compete against all these other forms of entertainment and leisure or commerce. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, maybe there's, there's something there that uh, what you uh, wanted me to plug as well, Andrew, and kind of talking about uh, my town here. Um, we're uh, so uh, I'm in a town of about, uh, 4,400 roughly. Uh, there's um, the the biggest. Uh, let me see. There's about 11 churches in this town of about four of four thousand, and uh, the biggest is uh, that from the Netherlands Reformed congregations, uh, a a old Puritan styled um, uh, Reformed subsect um, that's also very large in the Netherlands, uh, fairly prominent. We'll see in a moment, but. Uh, in this town, um, almost nothing is open on the Lord's Day uh, at all, even though we have about a 34% Hispanic population now um, as well. The, uh, there's, so there, there's, a, there's a chain of, um, there's a chain of uh, hardware uh, uh, lawn stores, um, uh, you know, kind of like a kind of like a Home Depot or a Lowe's for some people here called a Bumgars in, in the Midwest in this area here. And um, now the Bumgars here in town, when it went up, it it tried to, um, you know, operate on Sunday. And the uh, the residents of the town, uh, especially led by the Netherland reformers, um, opposed it so heavily that uh, that they removed uh, their operations on Sunday. And this is the only store of Bungars. Again, it's a chain. The only store in the U.S. that is closed on Sunday uh, that is not open every single day of the week because of the opposition here. Um, and I, I don't believe it's it's ne necessarily civil uh, local ordinance. Because um, I, I think um, now you'll, you'll find that most of the gas stations are closed here uh, as well. But I think the only there's one gas station that's open uh, for a little bit, uh, but not the whole day. And then I believe also a subway. 
uh, but otherwise everything else is shut down. Um, so it's, it is, you, you just have no option. Um, the only cars or people you tend to see out and about aside from um, a couple of the more, how do you want to say, um, less confessional reformed churches. There's also uh, uh, the Roman Catholics. They're the ones that don't tend to observe it and still will go outside and, and, you know, hold uh, recreations and these kind of things. Um, but this, this, this is, is uh, all. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. It is fascinating that it's the Netherlands reformed that drive that because the Netherlands reformed or a Dutch reformed uh, congregation, they subscribe to three forms of unity. It does kind of put a little bit of a lie to this idea of a continental view of the Sabbath as set forth in the three forms of unity. That's, not all that Sabbatarian that still allows for these sorts of activities on Sundays. And I would say uh, actually even Andrew and, and probably maybe from your time in the URC um, as well. Uh, maybe you, uh, I, 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 I find that um, the continental Dutch reformed have a tendency to uh, observe the, the Sabbath very closely. Um, yeah, I found it more consistent than uh, a lot of the Presbyterians. Not a knock, mm -hmm. but just what I've, I've seen. It's custom, yeah. largely. Huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have that. Uh, you have a much uh, deeper, long-standing tradition, right? That that yeah. connects. So, anyway, so we were just talking about when I when I left. I'm talking about uh, kind of the 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 deeper and maybe richer tradition and connection to the tradition that maybe how somebody in a more, even in the continental reform tradition, especially Dutch reformed seem to have that, that maybe keeps them a little bit stronger when it comes to some of these cultural issues, which when you think about, you know, a Sabbath law, obviously this is biblical theological, um, but this is a massive cultural issue too, right? An issue of law, an issue of, of common practice and tradition, and so it affects deeply mm -hmm. the culture. So you, when you have that rich cultural tradition kind of established, it's in your blood. You just grow up with it. It's just a part of everything. Um, it would be a lot harder then in some ways to, to um, you know, uh, go against that, to change that. Um, so you've, because mm -hmm. you've been formed into it, so to speak. And even in what yeah. we talked about with some of the ways that it seems like these things began to change, um, you know, basically pluralism and, you know, arguments from, from outside of the Christian tradition or at least Protestant Christian tradition, um, the, you know, the, the advent of sports and that kind of moving deeper and deeper into, uh, into the, the time that people spend, uh, on, on Sundays. Um, I, you know, the, the business issues, I can't help, but, but see a trend, um, with, within the whole of, you know, later industrialization, which is right at that time, right? Late 1800s, early 1900s, that you have that, that pressure, so to speak, that might be coming and being placed on people to work more and more, especially a pressure that, uh, you know, it, the kind of pressure where you now have a system where most people, at least when it comes to a lot of factory work and things like that are working, uh, but there's no deep, family or personal connection to mm -hmm. the person you're working for, mm -hmm. it becomes a lot easier when you are disconnected from somebody to begin to say, actually, I want you to work an extra day. Actually, I want to, you know, kind of impose mm -hmm. more of the work schedule on, 
on to your time um, rather than somebody that you know, that you love, that you have a, you know, uh, a deep affection for um, telling them, hey, remember how we've always had this one day where we could all worship and we could all, you know, uh, have a time of rest and, and focus on the things of the Lord. Well, I'd like you to start working on that day that like that would be a much harder thing to do when you have that deep connection to somebody else. So I can't help but think that that's got to be part of this as well. But I also yeah. think industrialization ruined everything. So. So that I know yeah. that I go to that a lot. Well, there's a, <laughs> those darn industrialists. <laughs> the uh, as I just as I just have you know worked on, on a furnace, <laughs> which I'm really grateful for. I'm grateful for the furnace, yeah. and the, the air conditioning, and the you're not many bringing benefits. A, you're not bringing them out here on Sunday. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. The uh, yeah, you, that that's a really good point, though. Um, yeah, there's a heavy commercial aspect in that goes into this as well uh, in American culture itself. That it, essentially this is uh, this is a uh, this is an idol of um, of money. This is an idol of economy. Um, but this 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 goes into American idol, particularly uh, an American cultural thing. Um, I'd mentioned a second ago that we had a or a bit ago that. Um, yeah, so in the Netherlands, um, the the practice in this town is largely imported from the Netherlands, but um, not just from a ecclesial sense, but also a cultural sense. Um, and this this is a, perhaps an interesting case in point of how this this subject can be tackled in various ways, and even in the sense of um, what we might derive in a sense of natural law. Again, that this being in Exodus uh, 2011 is uh, approached from also from a creational standpoint. Uh, in the Netherlands, um, traditionally, uh, historically, Sunday uh, people do not work. Um, it's actually uh, illegal or to require someone to actually work on a Sunday. Now, um, this this is in part still uh, to appease those uh, the Sabbatarian uh, more staunchly and, and consistently confessionally reformed uh, individuals there who there are a number of towns like the one I live in in the Netherlands uh, stretched throughout the Bible Belt um, running diagonally uh, from southwest to the northeast of the country where the um, the Dutch Reformed churches essentially run the local uh the local civil policies uh, meaning that blue laws are common in these rural areas in the netherlands um the uh the the reformed largely run the town and not even in a the theocratic sense per se but uh simply they're in civil offices um and the local observances uh are uh, take precedent but you also have a practice in the netherlands um that's uh how would you say it uh that goes into it in a civil way too it's a little bit complex but as simplified as possible many even in these non-bible belt reformed areas many small business businesses still do not open on sunday uh particularly small family businesses or single uh, owned, you know, shops, uh, single individual owning and running them. Many small towns do not have businesses running in Sunday on Sunday. Um, you have larger towns or cities where you, you might especially see it um, 
where uh, supermarkets, um, much, much larger, larger, larger stores like that are open. Um, but the, uh, uh, there's still the exception where a lot of those small businesses do not open. Uh, further, there's something of a rotation where um, on Sundays in most of these towns, yeah, things are closed, but at least uh, yeah, they'll practice where once a month uh, they'll they'll permit some of these towns to or some of these shops to open up uh, for kind of a economic um, boost day. Um, so the various towns though will take turns um, take turns in uh, in permitting this. Um, the town center of each town, in one province, take turns basically opening uh, one uh, opening on each Sunday uh, in a. And uh, so you can have uh, still this kind of promotion um, of, of the economy. But otherwise, yeah, it's still a normal practice. People just have uh, this extra day off, which um, when you look at things like uh, how the, the average amount of hours that an American works uh, per year is near 1800 hours. Even in uh, in a country like say Germany, which um, which has one of the highest uh, amount of uh, hours worked uh, in a year per on average, uh, even Germany's average is uh, some just a little over thirteen hundred hours in a year. It, it's pretty notorious that a lot of uh, a lot of countries in Europe take a lot more vacation days than people in the U.S. Um, there's, there's something that goes into this. Uh, the reason that we have so many businesses everywhere operating is simply um, economy. People want uh, to keep going out and buying things. Um, they want to have that option. And it's uh, part of this goes into that. Like, I think uh, you, you could ask like a couple of these, these oppositions to these blue laws. What are they actually based on? Some will say, yeah, the law is obsolete because of Christ. Um, some will say, yeah, uh, in, a, in a two kingdom sense, uh, yeah, you can't bind the conscience of unbelievers and hold them to these things. Others that argue against it, and perhaps the most popular argument against blue laws are, uh, it's, ar it's archaic. It's an old cultural practice. Times have changed. Um, some may say, well, hey, it's unloving and unhelpful in our American culture to take away possible income from the poor by not letting them have the option to work on Sunday. But you would you would also have to likewise argue. I mean, if we didn't have that, I mean, it, you wouldn't have uh, the increase in competition. Um, you know, if if uh, if you have a couple stores that are closed on Sunday and others are open on Sunday, you know, uh, then obviously the one that's closed is going to lag behind in how much they have to uh, earn in a year to keep up with similar stores. If you have all stores that are, if all stores are shut on Sunday, then that already removes that issue. I think, too, what this reveals is, you know, generally conservatives in America are very pro-capitalism and with good reason. Capitalism has done a lot of good, but um, capitalism as an all-controlling and all-governing principle is not adequate because the incentives of capitalism versus you know, what Christianity uh, seeks and promotes and such. They're not 
Um, they can overlap in some ways, but they're not the same. Yeah. Um, you know, when there's when there's more money to be made, uh, if capitalism is the all controlling principle, then people are going to go for that money, whatever else they have to step on. Although I, I do think one fascinating thing we're starting to see in the last couple of years is, you know, there's been labor shortages in most industries in most parts of the country which can be attributable to declining birth rates and all other sorts of things. And we could get into that if you really wanted to take a black pill. But uh, one of the things about that is now I think you're starting to see more businesses, particularly small businesses that might've historically been open on weekends and holidays that they're closing on weekends and holidays and such just because they can't get workers that will work those days. So although the declining birth rate and labor shortage situation is bleak in a lot of ways there there might be at least one small silver lining in it and that we might start to see a recovery of some of what has been lost yeah yeah and let's actually move in that direction as we kind of you know try to find a way to uh land this plane um hopefully the window has not blown out of of our little podcast plane here but we're gonna we're gonna land either way and (laughs) In order to land it, I think it'd be good to talk about where do, where do we go from here? Now, obviously, we're just a couple pastors talking, right? Maybe like we don't have the the greatest insight ever on this. Uh, but as you think about it, you know, I mean, we've spoken basically favorably of blue laws, would you say? Right. I mean, we've we've spoken favorably of Sabbath laws at this point. Um, but let's let's actually talk about where where can we actually go from here where are we heading um if this is a good thing then i mean what it it might be good but how how do you actually begin to put these sorts of things into place again in a way that actually works well i think it's difficult because uh you know i've I've said a few times throughout this you know i don't know if the loss of blue laws versus the decline of america and the decline of christianity I keep saying, I don't know if it's causative or symptomatic, which comes first, the chicken or the egg. I mean, once one starts, then it kind of snowballs into the other. So how do we get back to that? I don't know if there really is a clear path to do it because it would require a widespread cultural change. We would have to go back to the culture of the 19th century in certain ways. And I don't know if we have a clear path back there because now we live in an ever more, you know, unrighteous and, uh, rebelling against God society. Um, probably if there ever was to be a way that we could get back to this, uh, it may be that the way out's through the bottom. It may be that there's going to come a new nation political order that's going to do more what's pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Uh, but we don't know that. Uh, But if there's going to be a way back, it's probably just going to have to be through small incremental and cultural change. It starts with us as pastors teaching our people to have a robust doctrine of the Sabbath and its observance and its applications, not just for individuals and not just for Christians, but to the world more generally. And then maybe as people start to embrace that, people that own businesses, they'll start to act accordingly and then maybe start to exude some of this social and political pressure like, uh you know caleb described the store in his town it was basically social pressure that got that store to say okay fine we're not going to be open on sundays um maybe it's things like that are we ever going back to a nation where 
uh, we are the undisputed Protestant Christian nation and uh, every place has this. I don't know. I don't know if we can get there. I'd love to see it. Seems like a pretty heavy lift. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I, I think that, uh, perhaps a couple approaches in that, uh, first it, it's already such an anomaly, uh, to even come across someone that, um, is, uh, that, 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 uh, observes the Sabbath like this. Um, even with other Christians, um, you know, my, with my, my in-laws, um, and, and others, you know, they were, they're, they're kind of like, like, what, you know, when we don't, uh, yeah, we, they visit us or whatever, or, or we visit them. Yeah. We don't go out and do stuff on, on Sundays. We don't go to, mm-hmm. to, you know, to lunch together. We don't go to the mall or that kind of stuff with them. And they know, oh, well, that, that's just their practice. Um, so first, I mean, though, it, it's, it, it's almost like, um, you know, sometimes you might be, it, it's almost that the kind of equivalent of being in a, in a restaurant or something like that. And, you know, you, you stop and you, before your meal, you pray and thank the Lord, uh, for the blessing of that meal. That's something of an anomaly as well to see. Um, you don't really see many people praying, uh, in restaurants on a normal day. Um, so first of all, if there's already an outward witness simply by uh, ourselves observing it and people being aware of that. Um, and we would hope that, uh, that yeah, that starts up these conversations of, well, here's why we don't do it. Um, and and we, 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 we remind in the process of this, uh, you know, Mark 2, um, uh, the Sabbath was uh, made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Uh, it's, it's not a legalistic approach. There's, there's something of recovering not only the doctrine of the Sabbath, but especially a, a, a theology of rest in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think what uh, Andrew said earlier was, is, is pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty interesting thing where, uh, you know, since um, people are, uh, it's harder and harder to find people that are simply willing to work in the first place, even working on Sundays. Um, but it's, it's hard to find laborers. There's a labor shortage. Um, and you do wonder how that may affect things uh, and the mentality in the future of, well, maybe we should, uh, you know, back off and, and uh, give one more day of, uh, of time off, a day of rest for people. Um, you have the younger and the younger generations I speak. I speak like, a, I speak like a, I'm, I'm that old, but uh, those you have like, whippersnappers you have uh you know even from from millennial uh from millennials down um gen z uh something of a more you could say healthy work life balance and a desire for that it seems um not wanting to make life all about working in a in a company in a career but wanting to also have uh, for them experiences and that kind of stuff uh, there could very well be an avenue of um, even in uh, evangelism and witnessing uh, of, of saying, look, we, we have this built into our nature. Uh, man is to rest. And this, this doesn't always mean in a sense resting from a labors, but ultimately it's resting in God. It's, it's pausing and being still. Uh, it, it's taking that time uh, to, uh, to meditate upon him and his word uh, to as, as, uh, my Heidelberg Catechism says in Ward's Day 38, uh, ultimately to uh, to rest from sin, to make a practice of putting to death sin 
and begin enjoying an eternal Sabbath now in this life uh, every day by honoring and living to God's glory. Yeah, it seems to me that we, uh, because of the technology that we have, even, you know, I know a lot of people are worried about AI, but with AI, with a lot of the automation that's available, a lot of the things that, that uh, you know, might come up as, well, what about um, when you're talking about Sabbath laws? Well, what about, like, if somebody really needed to, like, stop in and get food somewhere or, you know, what have you? Um, you know, what if there's somebody that's traveling and they really need to stop and get gas on, on a Sunday? Well, there's, there's so many workarounds for those things that make it possible that you don't have to have the mm -hmm. entire, uh, system of trade and commerce active, mm -hmm. um, that, that it seems to me like we have the means more than ever, maybe for, uh, the ability to have leisure time, what I would call leisure time, which I think is what uh, we should think of the Sabbath as I'm not leisure in the sense of just, Hey, I'm just kicking back and, mm -hmm. and relaxing. Um, what, what really is, is recreation time, but leisure time, meaning time focused on those things, which are ends in themselves and mm -hmm. particularly the worship of God. And, um, I think that like we have more of an ability to do that today than maybe ever. The problem is we are less the kinds of people that can make use of that than mm -hmm. ever before, right? Leisure time, the worship of God. Actually, you have to, you have to be the right kind of person to do those things. Um, you don't, you know, you're not just free in the sense that, hey, if you free up the time, um, this will just happen. Uh, because you actually do need uh, a change of heart. And so I, I, I do think that really the problem is, is a problem uh, that has to be solved ultimately through evangelism, through discipleship, through the, the ordinary means of grace ministry of the church, uh, slowly working. And maybe over time, uh, we can have laws that help reflect that, that help people. I mean, I would be, you know, if we had uh, somebody locally that was all of a sudden like, hey, I think it would be a great uh, way to be merciful to people if we maintained some kind of, of system where everybody gets Sunday off, businesses aren't supposed to open. I'm going to support it. I'm going to be behind it completely. Um, but uh, I think that that sort of thing has to be done in the context of people that want it, uh, people mm -hmm. that, that desire it. Um, and in talking yeah. about all this, I don't, you know, I don't have a problem with working hard, by the way. Um, I, you know, I am, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I maybe, uh, I maybe attack industrialization from time to time, maybe too often, <laughs> but <laughs> I I mean, the idea of work, part of, part of the fourth commandment is, is literally a command to work, to do mm -hmm. your labor and work mm -hmm. for six days that, that you should be working hard for six days. Um, mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons that Sabbath is hard for a lot of people is because most people actually don't work that hard the mm. six days that they have to do their work. Um, but mm -hmm. then there's also that weird, slow creep of work time into everything, right? And 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 that also um, is a problem. Joseph Pieper talks about, you know, the modern world being a kind of totalitarian work state mm. um, where like that's all there is actually is work. And then the recreation you do to prepare to go back to work and that's it. And it, it, it just invades everything. And I think, I do think that's a real problem. 
Um, and so there, there's a lot of, you know, practical concerns, a lot of practical issues. But the biggest thing I do think you're right is that um, you just need to begin to practice this, right? In your life, um, you need to begin to, to show others the way. Uh, because once you start to do this, once you start to actually set aside the Lord's day for worship and rest and, and time with the Lord's people um, and to those things which are ends in themselves, oh, you begin to love it. You begin to enjoy it, right? It, it becomes something that is, is just good. And then you want other people to have it too. You want everybody to have that, um, to, to be able to have that, that experience. So, so yeah, I think that's probably how we move. There's, there is no going back. This is one of the things that Matt has been saying a lot lately that I, I think is right on is that you don't go back history. The way that history works is you don't go back. Um, even if things change to be more like they have been in the past, there is no returning to the way things work. Mm -hmm. um, it just doesn't work that way. And so um, we don't want to be um, the kind of idealists that just say, well, why aren't we all, you know, Puritan New England or something mm -hmm. like that? It just won't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there's like, that's just not going to happen. Um, but we can, we can learn from what they did. We can take what they did and we can try our best with the wisdom uh, of God's word to apply those things today. And by God's grace, uh, maybe he will, maybe he will allow that. So, oh, well guys, this is great. Uh, I don't know if you have any last thoughts or if you just want to give a handoff to people where they can find you, find the podcast <laughs> and, uh, and try to follow you more as you talk more about these things, probably. Yeah, we are uh, various places on the internet. We have a website, uh, onceforalldelivered.com, where we post our episodes, and we're also on podcast feeds, uh, social media at OF80 Podcast. And then, you know, if you're ever in Hamill, South Dakota, uh, or Rock Valley, Iowa, you can come visit us at our churches. We'd love to have you there as well. So, uh, Westminster OPC and then Rock Valley United Reformed Church. Yep, that's right. And it's, uh, you know, again, I guess if you want to see a preservation of uh, what some regard as a dinosaur of uh, of a town that's uh, a town that's shut down during uh, the Lord's Day, then, uh, you know, then come through and, uh, and join us in that, uh, you know, in that holy day of rest and and uh, fellowshipping with the saints. Uh, it is a very... Uh, it's a very interesting and beautiful thing. And, you know, I, I say frequently on the Lord's Day and from the pulpit, you know, hey, what we're doing here in gathering for worship is uh, we are practicing. We're rehearsing for eternity. And uh, one of the most beautiful things is uh, uh, when the believers, uh, the fellowship of the, the saints come together uh, and you get to meet and talk with other Christians in this life. It's like you get a little preview of who you're spending eternity with. It's a blessing to see and meet us uh, now ahead of time. So, yeah, we'll hopefully uh, get to uh, see some folks stop in, uh, especially if you're out looking at Dort uh, University or something in uh, Sioux Center. That's just a town over. So maybe that's a frame of reference for some people where I am. Guys, this has been fun. Um, I'm sure that we will have to do it again. Maybe, maybe sometime we'll talk about those red laws uh, and <laughs> and uh, getting rid of those reds. All right, uh, we gotta go. We gotta go. <laughs> I gotta right. go. Great to have you guys. Thank you for yep. coming on. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, thanks. Hey, thank you for listening to Restless. Even though I wasn't here, I listened to it too. It was great, wasn't it? 
If you want more from us, from me, from Michael, from others, why don't you sign up for the Patreon? It's going to be great. Also, would you do me a quick favor and send us feedback, a question, a comment, a tweet, something to react to here for our big 400K, 300K download show, whatever it ends up being. Thank you. Later.